Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people, with news, views and expert interviews. Hello and welcome to the first of three episodes for August 2021. I'm Steve Randall and on this episode, Dylan Roberts. He's Director of Health, Safety and Wellbeing at Skanska and is also part of the Health in Construction Group. We'll be talking about health, safety and wellbeing. And Peter Finn, Pete the Builder and I will be talking about climate change. What does connected construction look like? Viewpoint Construction Software connects your office, team and field. Viewpoint's cloud-based project management and field solutions help contractors of all sizes manage projects, processes and people from the design phase through to on-site completion and handover. To learn how Viewpoint is helping Wilmot Dixon, Kia, Galliford Tri and over 8,000 other construction companies deliver projects on time and on budget, visit viewpoint.com. As always on Constructive Voices, I'm joined by Peter Finn. Pete the Builder, how are you doing, Pete? How are we doing, Steve? Yeah, here comes the summer. It's great. Uh, busy, busy on site, but uh, also I think we've all got a, a couple of holidays to look forward to and the, the weather is good because uh, the staycation in Ireland can be a very dodgy moment in, in your life. But I think this this time we might just get away with it. We might actually have good weather. And I guess you work quite in advance. So are you, are you booking in work now for 2022 already? Yeah, we're at that stage, Steve. Yeah, it's uh, the industry has gone... Very busy worldwide, but where I am in Ireland, it's very, very busy. There's, there's just basically that build-up of work that, that happened when when things slowed down because of COVID is here. We already had work booked in, and you know people people are active. People people want to get going at their houses, so it's busy, 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 which is which is all good. But it takes management, it takes it takes a bit of organisation, <laughs> and uh, so that's that's what that's what I'm all about now. I'm I'm probably as organised as, as I've ever been. My calendar is was well listed out that it's ever been. So it's given me a little bit of a, a nudge in the right direction to make sure that I'm getting super organized because if you're not organized these days, oh man, you lose out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, on this episode, we're kind of covering one of our recurring themes. We talk um, a fair bit about technology and things. Uh, you know, that's one of those topics that keeps coming back in the construction industry. Uh, obviously, materials and things we talk about a lot, but also health. And health is such an important part of everybody's life. And in the construction industry, um, what we're going to be hearing about is a real kind of leadership thing from industry leaders to make sure that health is at the forefront. And I mean, it's it's vitally important that that's the case, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Like, I would like to think that we, we don't speak at people here. We just try to give them the information and let them know the background of what can happen when health and safety isn't looked at properly or, or, or isn't carried out uh, properly. And we've looked at lots of different areas and lots of different I suppose, perspectives on health and safety. And uh, this is another one here today. And uh, it's by a man called Dylan Roberts. He's the Director of Health and Safety in the Skanska Group in UK. And pretty much they're a group of people that have come together and are addressing the issue together collectively of health and safety in, in a fairly broad spectrum. So it's, it's a really interesting one. Looking forward to hearing it. And I, I love kind of getting the, the background information on, on these type of things because it kind of does open your eyes to the different ways that these groups approach the, the health and safety, and uh, of course, it's it's all leading in the right direction. It's all positive to make sure that we stay healthy, stay safe, and keep on building quickly, efficiently, and safely. Listeners to this podcast will vary from being those who work for the big groups down to the, the kind of solo operator who just brings in trades to work with them. But the good thing about leadership groups like this taking things 
seriously so that they are, are kind of driving things in the industry is that it then filters down, doesn't it? The standards that are set by the big companies will just become the norm everywhere because people just learn that that's good practice. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I know in, in different regions, different areas of the world, health and safety is viewed in different ways. And um, again, all of these discussions and all of this information just helps. It helps everybody to understand and see where these decisions are made and, and, and why these decisions are made and, and maybe gives you a bit of an, more of an understanding as to why we, we put so much time and focus into it. Because at the end of the day, Steve, the whole idea is, is to make sure that you go out, do their job and go home safely. So that's, that's what we're all, all, all about today, to have a listen to this now. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, well, we'll hear from Dylan. And then when we come back after that, I think we should talk about climate change because there's been some big issues around that recently. So we'll hear from Dylan and then we'll chat again, Pete. Cheers, mate. Talk to you then. Constructive Voices Media Partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. So our guest is Dylan Roberts. He's Director of Health, Safety and Wellbeing at Skanska and is also part of the Health in Construction Group. He's been talking to Matt Banks and, first of all, explained a bit about his career history, which sort of informs his passion for health and safety. I started my career off as an overhead linesman working up in northwest Wales in the Snowdon Mountain uh, Range, a, a very idyllic place to be working. But um, mixing that with working on top of poles and towers with a live electricity at times, where you gain a healthy respect for safety. And then I trained up to become an electrical engineer. And then some uh, 20 years ago plus now, um, I decided to make a career change from uh, being a construction manager, which is what I managed to attain a position of by then, into health safety because I was passionate about health and safety. Um, and I'm now Director of Health, Safety and Wellbeing for Skanska in the UK. Um, I also spent uh, 18 months as Group Director of Health and Safety, uh, based part-time over in Sweden, in Stockholm, where our head office is. And... Um, Spent some time overseas in the US, um, different parts of our business then as well. So I, um, I, I enjoy my job and I, it, I feel it's my vocation rather than a job uh, is probably the truth of it. Fantastic. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about uh, health and construction and, and what your role in it is? <laughs> so health construction came about really some six years ago now. And I was at uh, a cognac meeting in, in London. So that's a construction industry advisory committee. The chief inspector of HSC at the time, um, a lady called Heather Bryant, challenged uh, the people in the room to treat health like safety. And um, uh, a few of us thought that that's a really good challenge. And she didn't quite put it as a as a threat, but I think it took us back to the days when um, I think we were told as a construction industry that we need to take safety more seriously than we were. And there was a call to arms and people went about doing something different about that. And I think it was a similar situation. Uh, so there was uh, really then three of us, Clive Johnson and uh, Steve Hales, uh, myself, and uh, we're also joined by Greg Tipper, who uh, got together um, at the end of that meeting and said, OK, let's race to this challenge. Let's do something about it. And we had a few uh, meetings and developed something called Health and Construction Leadership Group. Um, and that leadership bit is extremely important in this. So 
we wanted to become a group who were a very action orientated and driving industry forward. Um, so that's what we set about doing. And what are your short term and, and long term goals? Uh, our main areas that we've been focused on um, have been respiratory disease, mental health, design for health and musculoskeletal disorders. And that won't come as a shock to anybody who's been working in this sector. And it, it was just at the time that um, there was a big push, particularly regarding silica and silica being the new asbestos, so to speak. So there was a great opportunity, sad as that sounds at the time, to really get focused on um, on a subject. Uh, so we worked a lot with IOSH and BOHS. Uh, and really, uh, I think what HCLG did at the time and our short-term objectives really were to really support these programs and actually bring them to the attention of leaders in the industry. So we very quickly ran two leadership workshops inviting CEOs of um, major contractors in construction, not just contractors, but also the clients, brought them into the meeting room and explained what the state of health was in the construction industry um, with some real facts. I think it's probably well known now for every single death through a accident, uh, there are 100 people who die from uh, occupational health-related diseases, which is a frightening statistic. I'm not saying that uh, CEOs and leaders in the industry were blind to um, the issue with their health, but I think like many of us, what people were really looking to do was, okay, we understand the problem, but what can I do about it? Because it's great when I think organizations or groups like HCLG say, here's some solutions to your problems. And some of that is about education. So we focused on short term about communication and getting leaders in organizations to take health as seriously as they were taking safety. I think when I was appointed to my role, I was really director of safety. I think health and safety was a was a title that, um, you know, just because it was the Health and Safety at Work Act, um, and that was the title that people had picked up. That's that's my view. I'm sure there's many uh, who would argue that. But mine was very much about safety and operational safety on, on site. What's going on here now today, and how can we stop that accident or in, incident occurring here and now? The big shift that I've seen is people taking occupational health far more seriously than they were in the past uh, in terms of educating people on the causes of ill health and the prevention of ill health. I think the industry has become far more joined up as well. What I mean by that is that we're working a lot more with suppliers, manufacturers, our supply chain partners. I think the days in 2008, possibly, uh, in my view, again, was that the big contractors decided how things were going to be done and they told others how to do it. And if they didn't follow those rules, that there may be consequences. I think we've become a far more inclusive uh, industry now in terms of listening to our supply chain, uh, engaging with the supply chain uh, and realizing that actually the people who know what to do uh, are actually our supply chain partners. And I think many of our suppliers as well uh, have really bought into into this you know i did a podcast with um with rvt group and uh, actually they're doing um a lot in terms of new technology and equipment etc to reduce harm so 
that we're collaborating a lot more across the industry than we were in the past in terms of um, the health agenda. I suppose the other thing that we're doing now, um, and this may be more recent, I think we're really starting to realize that the issues are created for people on site through the design, through the program, through the production design aspects of what we present people with on site. So if we can really get to a place where we're designing out the risks and the hazards, and I think we've been talking about this for years, but I'm seeing that becoming a reality now. So, you know, designers, operational managers, health and safety professionals are working far more collaboratively together now than they ever were. So going back to HCLG, you know, one of the groups we've had running in that is designed for health and really trying to get people to think about how can we remove the hazard and the risk before we actually undertake the construction or the refurbishment or whatever the case may be. We, we all know this, you know, it's there in the hierarchy of control. It's there in a, a whole load of models in terms of how we make our site safer. But we've tended, in my mind, to be always focused on, shall we put a better piece of equipment on a vehicle? Shall we put some mirrors? Shall we put some cameras on just so we don't run people over? And, and you have to do that, in, in my mind. But you can't stop there. You have to think much wider and think, well, why have I got a person in that area where that rig is working? You know, in my world, we have a, a very large number of um, piling rigs in, in our cementation business. If you haven't got a person next to the rig, the person isn't going to get injured. I know that sounds very um, simplistic and a bit flippant. I don't mean to be flippant. But actually, if we can do that, then the person isn't um, isn't exposed to the to the hazard. And the same with, you know, if we get the the plasterboards of the right size, if we build sections of walls off-site, as we've seen on places like Crossrail, where we just bring them to site, drop them down into place, rather than having um, uh, bricklayers, uh, et cetera, within that box, then that is how we're going to improve in terms of um, health and safety. And I'm seeing that really happening now. That's uh, it's, it's a really exciting change, actually. I did just want to ask what the biggest challenges you faced in your job uh, before the pandemic and and the same challenges that will exist after the pandemic? I think the challenges come at many different levels, um, is what I'd say. I think you've got safety risks, you've got health hazards, uh, you've got well-being, and actually it's becoming extremely complex now. I we're also talking about design. I we're also talking about planning an, an organisation and shifting the thoughts and, the, and our mindset away from has the person got the PPE that they require to undertake that job? Have they got the right tools to do that job? Which, of course, are necessary and important. Shifting that so that we're actually getting involved in the design stage and the planning stage is, is a big challenge because people have to start working in a different way. Uh, and that's uh, that's one of the biggest challenges, I think. I could go into down to some technical challenges, you know. So our biggest risk in our in our business is um, lifting operations, and actually, interestingly, it's actually our biggest risk globally as well, from a day to day site um, point of view. It's quite easy to pinpoint specific operations or tasks that need to be dealt with and, and managed, but taking that back two or three steps to designing it out and reducing the 
harm we might cause in terms of the chemicals that we're using or the dust that we're going to create. That that takes a different mindset, uh, and that that is a big um, a big challenge. Getting involved earlier on is is the biggest challenge, but it's by far the biggest opportunity as well as as I see it. Certainly for the clients, tier ones, tier twos, and then as, as of course as you get further into the supply chain partners and, and the small smaller organizations, that becomes far more difficult to articulate, you know, what offsite manufacturing might look like for somebody who's putting an extension on the house, for example. It's become very complex, I think. That's the bit that's um you know, making this shift is really very challenging. Because at the uh, and it's it's about changing people's behaviors and uh, and our approach to um to risk. And moving on to COVID nineteen, what have been the main challenges that have been presented by the pandemic, both for uh, those working on site and for the industry in, in a more general sense? I think the biggest challenge really was how can we work safely? How can we ensure the safety of our people, not only at work, but during their journey to work? You know, I mentioned very briefly earlier the, the Health Safety at Work Act. You know, it's about looking after our people while they're at work. But um Actually, the pandemic creates a whole new challenge. You know, if we're expecting people to go into London to undertake a job, we've got a duty, a moral obligation to ensure that that is as safe as it possibly can be for them. So that takes a different approach as well, you know, in terms of, uh, I know myself and and many other uh, peer organisations, you know, we hired out large um, acreage of car parks, for example, to allow people to drive in um, to undertake their work. So, you know, you've, you've... it meant that we had to think about the person uh, from when they left their door to when they arrived home at night. There's also pressure on individuals, of course, because their mode of transport has now changed. So their day is longer. So again, it's it's quite complex because you've got the immediate risk of somebody contracting COVID when they're being asked to undertake a task and the activities that you can probably quite well control in that space, in the construction area anyway. But that becomes far more difficult when you start expanding out to, okay, how do they get around site? How do they get their instructions in the morning? How do they have lunch? What about the welfare facilities? How do they get into the site? So, you know, I had to think about this from right from when the individual leaves for work, right through to when they arrive home home at night. Um, and we've, we've put a huge amount of time and effort um into making sure that we think about all of those um, areas. I just wanted to ask you if, if you think that the issues that can be caused by the pandemic from a mental health perspective could be just as dangerous in the long term as the as the physical health ones that we're seeing now. I think this is uh, one of the risks that we do face, not just in construction, of course. So it's a much bigger, a big, bigger issue than uh, than that. And similar to the occupational health subject. Because it's not so obvious, because it may take a long time to um, to permeate and, and come out in terms of how people act, react, and, uh, and behave, then it is um, you know less evident than uh, than the safety hazards. On the safety side, we've seen a, a reduction in our accidents on site because people are taking much longer and being more inclusive and involved in designing and planning a job so that it's done well from a health, safety and the COVID point of view. But from a mental health point of view, of course, putting in those extra 
hours into planning and organizing the job uh, means that that increases pressure for people at the workplace because there's an expectation that you complete that task today and tomorrow and, and the next day. I also briefly mentioned um, looking after people from when they leave from work in the morning to when they return home at night. Not everybody's been able to do that. Some people have had to stay at home. Uh, we've got over 2,000 people who are working from home uh, at the moment because we've been able to facilitate that. But you know, not everybody is happy and comfortable being at home. It might be a tough environment. It might be that they haven't got the equipment they need or they've got some other challenges. I think the key is is about maintaining mental health. Um, and this part of the work that we've done, again, with HCLG is really talking about how we maintain and keep mental health rather than about being first aid for mental health. I'm not saying for a minute we don't need that. Of course we do. You know, we need help and advice for people who are struggling. But the imperative is to give people tools, ideas, training that means that they know how to look after their own mental health and take responsibility for that, but also how they might be able to support their colleagues and their friends in talking about mental health or, or maybe just talking about how are you, you know, and having that conversation and listening rather than it being about um, only dealing with the consequences of somebody suffering from um, mental ill health. Yeah. And what would be your advice to construction workers who are seeking out help uh, for mental health problems? Well, hopefully they've got somebody that they can turn to. I, I think that's really important. I think we all probably know when we're under a bit of pressure. And we all probably know the little traits that are telling us that we're not coping terribly well. Or probably, a, a, you know, mass, vast majority of us probably do. We don't want to be seeking mental health when we're uh, absolutely at the end of our tether and things are going terribly wrong. The earlier people start having a conversation, opening up, being honest, talking to somebody, and it doesn't have to be saying, I've got mental health issues. It could be things are not going very well for me at the moment. Okay, you know, and then other people being open to having and taking time to have that conversation with them. Because I think the earlier you have that, the earlier you share that, then that's the point at which people need need help. You know, I, I could say go to organizations such as Mates in Mind, go to um, Samaritans. Of course, they're there and they are available and there are, you know, qualified people that you can direct to. But actually, the my view is speak to your friends, speak to your colleagues and the people that you socialize with normally. I personally normally walk on a Saturday morning with a group of three friends. Uh, I walk about five miles with the dogs every Saturday morning. And every Sunday morning, I normally go out cycling. I haven't been able to do that for um, coming up to 12 months now. Those links for me uh, are broken, and that's difficult. And, you know, so I'm, I'm conscious of the how much more effort I have to put in to catch up with people and just have a conversation, normal conversation, not about mental health about how rugby's going or football or whatever's your interests. I think we all too often focus too much on the extremities of mental health problems rather than maintaining good mental health here and now. Just looking sort of into the future now, and, and, and one thing that everyone has said is that the pandemic will have changed this industry 
uh, and there will be positive ways that it will have done so. And, and I'd like to hear from you, in what ways will the pandemic have changed health and safety within the industry? Uh, I've been part of a group who've been supporting putting together and advising on the creation of the um, Construction Leadership Council uh, site operating procedures um, and the um, Construction Outdoor Workers Guidance. And uh, there's been a group of us there from Mace, Keirs, Balfour Beatty, Morgan Sindel, and um, JKR Scaffolding who've been part of that group. And what we were having one of our biweekly calls about, okay, how we how are we going to manage this next bit of information that's come out regarding COVID? How should we manage to communicate the next standard, et cetera? So we were meeting biweekly and there was just one evening and I went, you know what, there, have, there has to be something positive that comes out of this that we're learning. I, I'm getting an impression in my business that we're having fewer accidents. And very quickly we learned that, each of those companies I mentioned were also having similar experiences. And we weren't sure to start with whether that was a, um, are we getting our numbers of people on site recorded accurately? You know, is, is that the issue? Have we got less work going on, but we've got, the, you know, uh, but we're recording the same number of people as we would previously? We looked at that. No, that's not the case. You know, the, the data is accurate. Uh, so we uh, spoke to Loughborough University and we asked them, uh, would they uh, undertake a, a review for us? And there is a paper on it, um, which is on the uh, HCLG site and also on um, any one of those organization sites. There's a link to it, all Loughborough. Um, and actually, they did a telephone interview of some managers and supervisors on various projects, asking them a question, you know, is it healthier and safer? What, what are the consequences? Um, what does it mean in terms of how you're working on site? Pretty well, the answer that came back was that there is a great deal more collaboration going on than there was previously. People were talking through the jobs, designing the job, planning the job before they commenced it in a lot more detail, but in a, with a lot more engagement than they had been in the past. So when the workforce was set to work, everybody was agreed on what they were doing, and it was happening more efficiently from an individual task point of view. Um, now, that sounds like the perfect world, but of course, th there is a challenge there that's because of the COVID requirements. What you tend to get is you tend to get more discrete work activities with fewer other people in that vicinity. So, of course, you may be undertaking one task more quickly, but you might have been doing eight tasks on that floor in the past, but now maybe you're only doing three. So that's a balance that has to be struck. So, you know, anybody who looks at that paper, I think will find some um, really positive notes around how we could work better going forward. Collaboration is, uh, is talked about quite a lot. We tend to talk, I think, about clients to contractors or contractor to contractor collaboration. I don't think we talk enough about that between contractor and contractor and contractor and supply chain partner and the workforce. Um, and I suppose maybe it's a bit of my um, sort of leading back to my upbringing, I suppose. You know, as an overhead linesman, um, I was working in a very high risk environment with a, a colleague and we were left to our own devices on a regular basis, you know, working at 10, 15 meters up a wooden pole on climbing irons or working on a live pole on the top of a on the top of a ladder, 
Um, and you had to take responsibility for yourself and look after yourself. You know, that's where we need to get back to, really. We need to really value more the workforce and their their views and opinions and engage them in what we're doing. And I think that's one of the things that, um, that we may take away from COVID. I think that there is another part of it as well is um, the speed at which we change. It'd be hard to imagine the, the pandemic, of course, but if somebody said to us 18 months previously, you as an industry are going to produce guidance, which the whole industry is going to review, accept and comply with. And you're going to issue it out in March and people are going to stop their jobs, review how they're working against that requirement and then set up their working space in accordance with that requirement. And then they're going to follow it. I think most people would think, what are you talking about? Or they'd be looking for a very specific work activity. They won't be saying, my goodness, you're talking about the whole activity and all your jobs. So what we've got to keep that speed of change. Um, while you mentioned mental health earlier, while, of course, realizing that, you know, I don't know about other people, but I haven't got the capacity or the ability to work at that speed of change all the time. So we need to find the right level and the right way of bringing about change, of course, without it just generating stuff. But also it can't be there to um, the people get burnt out either. Just to finish up, I'd like to know what your hopes and visions for how the industry will, will take care of both mental and, and physical health uh, now and, and post-pandemic? And how does, how does health and construction fit into all that? It's a really exciting time, actually, because um, since Construction Leadership Council took the approach that they did with the, with the SOP, we've also seen Cognac being reformed um, so that it becomes uh, more targeted in terms of the areas that it wants to deliver on. Um, and that's really good news for HCLG as well, because when HCLG was originally um, conceived and started up, it's fair to say it was made up of leaders uh, of health and safety in, in very large organizations who were empowered to make decisions. Um, and that meant that we could go about uh, and make some changes, or we could communicate changes that others were wanting to make. Um, and I suppose because of the size and the type of organizations we were all from, people would listen to that or we would be putting it in our management system, whatever the case may be, and, and others would uh, follow. And hopefully that doesn't sound um, arrogant. But I, I think what we're going to see is more of that. So I'm chairing the construction uh, Health and Construction Leadership Group. We're at a point now where the industry is working far more collaboratively than it has in the past. We're going to be very clear about what the um, Tackling Ill Health Working Group is doing within Cognac. And we're going to say, right, okay, we're very clear on what you're doing. This is the areas that we're going to focus on. And these are the people that we're going to be focusing on over the next three to five years. Collaboration and coordination is going to be vital. And I think we're at right to the cusp of doing that, being far more joined up as, a, as an industry. Because we talk about construction industry but actually you know there are many many associations there are many companies of various sizes including customer organizations etc uh, and, and people are crying out for consistency so that's one of our key things is you know we, we have to deal with mental health musculoskeletal health respiratory health you know they, they are the big items 
but the, but the way of dealing and tackling with those is through education uh, of people. And then we also need to be consistent um, across the industry. And this whole design planning side is, um, is I think, what's going to happen over the next two to three years. Um, I've already mentioned planning because that's something that's come out of COVID that we learned that um, actually if we get the planning right, it makes it a healthier work environment. Uh, if we get the design right, we've removed a lot of the risk. We, you know, we've, we've got to keep on at that while educating people on what the health hazards are. Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people. So, Pete, some interesting topics raised there by Dylan Robertson. I know we're going to be talking about um, health again in a couple of episodes' time, but there's another big thing that I thought we perhaps should talk about in this episode because of what we've seen in Northern Europe, the horrendous floods in Germany and in Belgium, um, and other things that have been going on around the world regarding climate change. Obviously, in North America, they've had the ridiculously uh, high levels of heat, the unprecedented levels there. Climate change is one of those things that's going to change everybody's life and already is. And in construction, it's going to change not just the way we work, but the way that we build. Yeah, without the shadow of a doubt, Steve, the climate is changing. You know, there's no doubt about it. I think, you know, there was discussions for maybe a decade or so about, is it really happening? Is it real? I think you'd want to be living under a rock for a long period of time now, not to be cognizant of the fact that it is real now. Like our, our weather has started to change. Like I've noticed it particularly myself, even, you know, in my environment and in, in, in where we lived, we're definitely getting maybe longer spells of hot weather. And then we're getting extreme downpours of rain, which I don't really remember in my history. This is not looking into any information that's out there. This is just me kind of thinking back on my own sort of summers and, and winters. And the weather has definitely turned a little bit more extreme than it used to be. There's no, there's just no doubt about it. You, you've you've got to be cognizant of that now when you're designing and when you're building a building. You've got to be aware of the fact that the weather is getting a little bit more extreme now, and unfortunately, it's probably only going to go in one direction. It's probably only going to get worse in terms of bursts of of, of extreme hot weather and then maybe extreme wet weather extreme cold weather so like i'm not qualified enough to be able to tell you exactly how and when that's going to happen and how far it's going to go but what i can tell you without the shadow of a doubt is you do need to start thinking about it now when you're involved in a construction project and you need to start thinking about what products you use and your flashings and your weathering details that you do because some of the the details that we would have had on on our roofs and, and and different details that we did they're just about being pushed to the limits now, and I think maybe it's time to, to batten down the hatches just a little bit further and and give ourselves a little bit more redundancy when it comes to, to these type of things, you know? Yeah, and I suppose managing expectations of clients is going to be important as well. We're going to have to be looking at building maintenance perhaps a little bit more and manage those expectations that, okay, this has been built to great standards, but if you don't keep it maintained to this level, we can't guarantee this. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a, a, a builder's joke or a construction people's joke in, in Ireland where if, if, a, if a building has won an award, it usually means that it's got a load of leaks in its roof, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the old architectural design is always minimalistic and keep all the details as, as, as minimal as you can. And, you know, the architects love that and they love that type of a, a streamlined, linear look. But the reality of that is that your opportunity to, to give 
weathering and flashing coverage is is reduced every time you do that. So I suppose I, I hate to I hate to say this to people who are out there in in the design industry, but you really do need to start thinking maybe a little bit more about the uh, the long term weathering of buildings. Um, and we do definitely need to consider the fact that the weather is going to get a little bit. It's going to change is the best way to put it because, look, the weather in Spain and the weather in Ireland have always been different. The weather in the UK and the weather in um, you know certain parts of America have always been different. So we've got different materials that we use. We've got different details that we use in all parts of the world. Some, some uh, parts of the world are extremely dry uh, for long periods of time. Some parts of the world, the temperature never drops below a certain uh, level. And then there's other parts of the world where you get four seasons in one day. And you've got, like, you know, humidity then as well can be a lot different in a lot of different areas. So, like, the the, the Northern Europe type of, of construction in comparison to maybe something that you, you, you would see in certain parts of America or in the Gulf are, are going to be different and always have been different. But I do think that no matter where you are now uh, in the world and no matter what type of materials and what type of construction you've been used to, I do think it's time to start to broaden your horizons and maybe start looking at different details, different materials maybe in certain aspects to make sure that you're ready for the fact that the weather is probably not going to be the same, exact same as it has been over the last period of time. Like there has been extreme weather throughout the years. There has been storms. There's always been, this is, like that's a fact. But I think... These are happening more regular now than than they used to. And how about the working side of things? Because if you take, for example, the hottest part of the day, certainly in the UK and most other places, is the midday sun. So you've got the, you know, that is the hottest part of the day. Are we going to have a situation where construction sites are going to have to stop for a few hours for that hottest part of the day? Are we going to be working later into the evening to make up for that when it's not as hot? I mean, you know, there are all these sort of things that could be, at the moment, unknown unknowns. Yeah, but I suppose, again, Steve, what we do have to be aware of is that, like, in Australia and, and in, in other parts of the world that are used to having heat, they know how to do these things and they have measures in place. Uh, again, a, a bit of an old joke going on is that, like, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of lads that I know would have worked in Australia and when the, the, the temperature reached a certain height, there would be a bell rang on the site and then people were kind of told for, for downtime, but sure, what they all used to do was grab their surfboards and, 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 and head for the sea. You know, they used to be all delighted when the, when the hot weather was coming because they got more surfing in. But um, it's just one of those things that I think if you're working in a region that hasn't previously had those environments, and in Australia, maybe they have to be ready for more extreme wet weather and maybe some colder weather as well, because again, like that, that's what climate change does. You just have to be, have to be ready for it. Look again, like during the hurricane season, some of the, the, the sections of America are just prepared for it and they, they know. And like I've often seen the, the footage of, of the hurricane going through town and towns and literally pulling the buildings apart. And like I always said to myself, well, why don't they just build a building stronger? And it's simply because that type of construction doesn't suit that area. And the, the point of view that they take is, because the the hurricanes are so random, they just kind of work on a percentages based that basis that they'll still go for timber framed houses and timber framed buildings in in the large part. And if if you are unfortunate enough to be on the path of one of those incidents, you just have to kind of accept it. In some parts of Europe and obviously in some parts of of America, South America, Australia, you know, you wouldn't even consider doing a building without uh, putting in air conditioning or some way of cooling the, the the interior of the home. But then they don't really go for insulation. Like, I mean, there's still single glazing being used in an awful lot of these uh, uh, areas. 
because they just don't have the, the requirement or the necessity that we would have where we live uh, to, to keep, you know, thermal construction details high in the priorities. But again, maybe they have to start considering that now as well and start ha- having to think about changing what, what the way they do things. So I suppose the point I'm, I'm trying to make is that I think no matter where you are and no matter what type of construction you're used to doing, I think it's maybe time to start considering looking at other areas and seeing how the other parts of the world have addressed issues that may be coming to your, to your area. It's not doomsday. We're not saying that the, the whole world is, 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 is going to have to start adapting itself and getting ready for, for every kind of weather event that, that happens in a different part of the world. Just cover your bases, give yourself that little bit more um, redundancy to make sure that you know, you keep your building in good shape because you know what? When you put a lot of money into a into a construction project, you want to make sure that it lasts lasts a lifetime. Always good to get your perspectives on these things, Pete. And uh, just noticed in the chat, producer Jackie, who's in Spain, has put a message saying, "Take a siesta." Now, I don't know whether that's just uh, joining in uh, with our conversation earlier about the midday sun because it is nearly midday actually as we're recording this, or whether she's off for a lie down. So either way, I think we should probably finish. <laughs> Uh, listen, thanks very much, Steve, and uh, ciao, Bella. I speak to you soon, okay? I go for a siesta now. <laughs> Talk to you next time. And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Don't forget, we have three in August. Get the latest episodes automatically using your favourite podcast app. Just hit follow or subscribe. And, of course, you can visit our website, constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. It'll be good to hear from you as well if you've got any comments to make or if you want to review or share or rate the show. All of that would be good. Connect with us as well on social media. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. 